Well, come on, give him a big hand this morning. The Lord is worthy of our praise. Great to see you this morning. Give your neighbor a high five and say, you're going to have a blessed 2013. And you may be seated. Well, turn your Bibles this morning, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 18, 2 Samuel chapter 18. Well, do a little poll here. How many up on New Year's Eve, how many were up past midnight? Let me see your hand here. A lot more in the first service. There are a lot of lazy old people in the first service. How many went to bed before 12? You and I share something in common. But we're really glad you're here this morning. You know, as you start the new year, let me just commend you for making church attendance a part of your spiritual life. You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And all the more as the Lord's coming is before us. It's a part of our Christian life. It's not all of it, but it's a vital part where we come together with other believers, where we worship corporately and hear the word of the Lord. One of the other parts of our Christian life that I promise you has great spiritual potential and growth is reading your Bible on a daily, regular basis. And I want to make sure we publish a Bible guide every couple months. And if you didn't get one of these, let me make sure you get one of these in your hand. It's an Old and New Testament every day. I read it myself. This is my Bible reading plan. If you'd like one, just lift your hand real quickly. The ushers will give you many as you need for you, your family, and uh, we'll make, uh, make sure you get that. Let me say this, too, as you're looking for a church service, we have a great Saturday night service, and seats are a little more at a premium in this second service. So I want to encourage you. I'm looking for about 30 or 40 people that would come to Saturday night for just a couple months. And then if you want to come back, great, but leave some more seats. So you just may be one of those, and if you would do that for me, I would really appreciate it to, uh, to support our Saturday night service and loose up some more seats here on Sunday morning. The worship's the same. Kids' ministry, sermon, everything's the same. And uh, actually, if I wasn't the pastor, I think I'd Come on Saturday night, too. That way you get to hang out on Sunday and just kind of have your day. First Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going. My New Year's was very different this year. My New Year's Eve, typically we try to do something a little bit fun, though we're uh, with our kids or something that's kind of a, a memory of the New Year. But this New Year's Eve, my wife and I were preparing to go to Baylor Hospital in Dallas because uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in early December. It was a very difficult time for us, obviously, if you can imagine, if you have gone through something like this or if you have observed it. But she had her surgery Wednesday morning, and uh, I'm happy to tell you the doctor said it went well. They didn't find any surprises, so we're thrilled with that. And uh, she's, she's home. She's doing well. She actually walked around the yard three times yesterday, and I said, Honey, why don't you pick up some leaves while you're out there? And her smile, uh, well, the doctor said she could pick up five pounds, okay? And those leaves... You know, I'm just joking. Come on, don't throw anything at me. But she's doing better, not taking as much pain medicine, and uh, we're praying, you know, for a total and complete healing. We've, ever since we knew something was wrong, we've been praying for a miracle, and our faith is strong. Uh, her pathology report comes back this week, so pray with us that she'll have a good report, and any treatment will be on the minimum side rather than the maximum side. I mean, no, we're grateful for doctors and the technology, their skills they have that they've unlocked from God, the, 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 the great physician, and that's where our ultimate hope is. This, in the coming weeks, actually, in months, I'll be sharing things that are very personal to us. I mean, you know, when you go through a crisis, it makes portions of the Bible and your spiritual understanding broader and deeper, and, and we'll share some things about that. We'll talk about sickness and healing and spiritual attack and why bad things happen to good people. I mean, no, when we have these things happen, our faith is challenged. But how I many know we can be shaken but still be strong? 
I'm going to try to help you with that. And in particular, this morning, I want to head in a direction that I know will help you. I want to share with you this morning how we are finding in the midst of fear, worry, confusion that knocks at the door, how we're finding the peace of God and how we're finding guidance for the decisions that need to be made. Now, how many know that's huge? You may not be in a crisis today, but you could well be in this year. How many know you need the peace of God? It's a perfect time of the year as you stand on the precipice of a new year to make sure that you're finding the guidance of God as you go into your new year. So let me help you this morning. Second Samuel chapter 18, it's a portion of Scripture I was reading in my Bible guide reading on December 17th. And as I read that, God was speaking to me. In this particular passage, it's about King David, historically in the Old Testament. David has a son, Absalom. He'd risen in rebellion against him. Uh, the kingdom was falling apart. And lo and behold, Absalom is defeated. And after his defeat, he now comes back. They're sending two runners. They didn't have iPhones to give you a call. So two men are running back with word after the battle. And here's what I read that morning. Verse 28, Ahimehaz cried out to the king, all is well. Can you say all is well? Now, I'm just reading along about the story of David, but all of a sudden, these words leapt off the page. Now, mind you now, confusion is everywhere. We're not certain what's going to go on. And it was as if there was a voice that was speaking to me, all is well. Now, that doesn't mean there's not a problem, but in the midst of the problem, all is well. Well, eagerly, I, of course, I underline, I highlighted. The New Living Translation said, everything is all right. And he said, Blessed be the Lord your God, who's delivered up the men who raised their hand against my Lord the King. Verse 31, Behold, the Cushite came and said, Good news for my Lord the King, for the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose against you. And again, good news leapt off the page. Now, I want to tell you, friends, in the middle of the storm, when you feel like God is speaking to you, all is well, good news. How many know it gives you a weapon to fight against the battle that's going on in your mind? And it, it, when the written word becomes a living word, when the Logos becomes a rhema, how many know you know when God is speaking to you and His voice gives you, come on, the peace and the certainty that you're looking for? Well, that happened to us. It was a special moment. I read my Bible every day. I read for historical fact, for facts. I read for continuity. I read for... for uh, uh, theology, for understanding. I read for application. But there's those special times when portions of the Bible just seem to leap off the page. And I'm telling you, that was a moment God spoke to us. And that is what I'm going to be sharing with you in the coming days about God still speaks. Because God not only speaks to us when we're in a crisis, but God wants us to give us direction at key points in our lives. And this year, you're going to find yourself making many decisions. Some you may be aware of now. Some may catch you by surprise. You may get married this year. You may start a company, a business. You may change locations. You may make some major change in your life. Maybe make an investment. There may be a ministry opportunity God's calling you to do. Opportunities before you. And let me know what we need is the voice of the Lord. What we need to know is the will of God. We need to know the mind of God. We need to know what God's will is for us in that particular situation. And in this series called God Still Speaks, that's exactly what I want to do. I want to share with you what the Bible has to say about the ways that God communicates to His people. You will find that God, throughout the pages of Scripture, is a communicating God. 
It's not a weird thing. It's not a mystical thing. But in the pages of Scripture, we'll see, beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when they talk with God throughout the pages to the end of the book of Revelation, where it says God's going to be with them and be their God. God is a communicator. And I want to help you understand this. So when you face things in life, when opportunities are before you, that you'll be able to face them with the mind of God. So let's look into this together this morning. I want to look this morning at two passages, an Old Testament passage uh, and a New Testament. The Old Testament will be about the prophet Elijah, and the New Testament, a word that if you have any doubt whatsoever, the Holy Spirit speaking in the book of Acts about God speaking to all of His people in the last days in which He lives. So give me an open mind this morning, and let's look. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 9. Many of us were raised in traditions such as I was, is that we believe that God spoke, but He doesn't speak. Let me say it again. We believe God spoke in the past and on the pages of Scripture, but it's almost as if when the Scripture came together, the supernatural stopped, the relationship with God, the communion stopped. Can I tell you it's not true? That God is a communicating God. And I want you to look on the pages of Scripture with me as we begin to explore this. First Kings chapter 19, the man we're looking at is Elijah, a great Christian man had seen God do some incredible things. Now, if we could contextualize his life, the last couple months of Elijah's life have been nothing short of incredible. He's found himself in a, in a time where the nation was in great, great trouble. They were Baal worshipers. They turned their backs on God. And how many know there is in America today a sense that America is in great, great trouble? I don't know if our congressman and president's negotiation over our future uh, economic issues brought you any comfort, but it did nothing but make me sad angry. You, you understand what I'm talking about? It's just like we just kicked the can down the road and we're spending... Listen, do you realize that we are spending about $166 million every hour that's borrowed or made up money? 46 cents of every dollar that our federal government spends is money we don't have. And it's like our nation is leading us like everything is great. It's not great in America today. You look at the moral condition of America. You know, kids are being gunned down in schools and all the government's response is to let us in our arrogance take all the guns and that solves the problem. Listen, they killed people the same day in China. Some guy killed 22 people and I think it was with a knife. You know, there's more people in America killed with clubs and knives than there are with guns. True fact. But in our nation today, we don't know what to do other than to say man can control this thing. Listen, we're in trouble, friends. Morality is being redefined in America today. The push towards same-sex marriage, that it doesn't matter if a man and a woman uh, uh, come together as marriage or if they raise their children or two men or two women or three men or three women, it doesn't matter. We can do what we want to do. Let me tell you, friend, America is in trouble. America has turned her back on the God of the Bible. And if there's ever a day that Christians need to stand up in a loving but yet a truthful way and stand up for morality and what's right and wrong. This is the day and this is the hour. And I'm telling you, as you go into a new year, God has a script that He wants you to fulfill this year. It's as if you're going to be in a play. You're going to be an actor on the big screen of eternity and God wants you to act out the script. But you're not going to know what to do unless you know what He wants you to do. And that's kind of the gist of this series. But Elijah found himself in a difficult time. Well, anyway, he's on Mount Carmel now. Push come to shove. He's by himself. There's 850 or so prophets, pagan prophets that are there. And you know the story where God fire answered his prayer from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. He gets rid of those pagan prophets. And I mean, it's glorious. And the nation has been in a, a, a famine. It, it, there's been a drought for three years. It hadn't rained. And now this guy prays and it rains. I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing. 
after this huge spiritual mountaintop, Jezebel, she's Ahab's wife, she said, look, buddy, I'm going to kill you because you killed my friends. And all of a sudden, fear invaded his life. All of a sudden, he got scared. He ran away. He got depressed. Uh, things were not, he wanted to die. So here's a guy that was doing great things for God. Something had happened, and now he's on the sidelines. God kind of goes to him. He picks him up. He nudges him. He takes a little trip, and he finds himself on the top of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. And that's where we pick up the story. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. Elijah went into a cave, and he spent the night. Now, he didn't have a surplus of hotels like we do in Texarkana now. It was just him in a dark place. There were probably some critters in there. But I suggest to you that this cave is also a metaphor of a dark place. It's a place where we go, we're alone, there's no one else there. It's a place where we go and we don't know what we're supposed to do. We hide, we retreat. And that's where Elijah finds himself. But I want you to look at verse 11. You're going to see this simple phrase where it says, The Lord said. Can you say that with me? The Lord said. God will speak in these few verses four different times. The Bible doesn't tell us how God spoke. We don't know if it was an audible voice. Now, I've never heard an audible voice. I've heard some people say they have, but I, I have not. I don't know if it was an audible voice, or perhaps it was as the New Testament will talk about, that still small voice, that, that, that inner witness of the Holy Spirit. But somehow God was communicating with Elijah. God found him in the cave. And God said, I want you to go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Now, how many of you can just get in the presence of the Lord, peace comes? If you get in the presence of the Lord, answers will come. That's why it's so important to set yourself apart to be with God. And then as he was there, the Lord's about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart. Now, I can't imagine this scene. How many know the only thing that survives in a tornado is rocks? I mean, they don't tend to move. Big rocks don't move very much. But somehow this wind was shattering this mountain. This is incredible. Here this guy is standing in the cave. Then an earthquake comes. Well, the Lord is not in this wind. After the wind was an earthquake, the Lord was not in the earthquake. In other words, the wind or the earthquake was not the means whereby God was communicating. Mind you, it's a picture of Mount Sinai, the same place where Moses saw the thunder and the lightning and the shaking. But verse 12 says this, After the earthquake came a fire, the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came, say it with me, a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. The New King James calls it a still small voice. When Elijah heard it, he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Very important. He was listening and he acted on what he heard. But then for the third time, a voice said to him. Now this is not spooky. It's not weird. Can I suggest to you, this is normal. You see, the Holy Spirit lives inside every Christian. And somehow God knows what to do. And God is with us, and we want to get connected to Him so we can have this kind of relationship. And the Lord said, what are you doing, Elijah? And he replied, kind of in a pity party, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. I mean, that sounds like the perspective of a caveman. I'm all by myself. And look for the fourth time, verse 15, the Lord... God is speaking to him. And the Lord said to him, I want you to anoint Haziel, king over Aram, anoint Jehu, king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. And in verse 18, he speaks to the pity party, you're not alone, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound down to Baal or the worship of Baal. 
Now let's try to go back into this passage and learn some things from this when a man of God had a communication and a communion with God. And here's what I want you to know too, is that God wants to communicate with you. He wants to make himself real to you and help you. Now, let me give you a couple lessons. And the first one is a big one. It's this. Spiritual people get discouraged when life gets hard, but God doesn't throw us away. Now, let me say that again. Spiritual people. When life gets hard and we kind of fall short, which is what he did after he was confronted by Jezebel, he, he ran away, he hid. In this, he's still in this kind of hiding mode, it seems like. God doesn't throw us away. And if I could tell something to you as you start this brand new year, many of us labor under condemnation from our past. Many of us have done things or have failed to do some of the right things. And we have a sense of shame. We feel like we're too old now. We hadn't, you know, we made wrong choices and we're kind of disqualified. Can I tell you that's an absolute lie? Or if I could say it this way, it's a bald-faced lie. The devil uses that lie to keep us. And if you're living in a cave, let me give you some good news starting out 2013. God's got something for you, and God's not against you, and, and he's, not, he's a forgiving God. Listen, I understand what this means. I held for the first 18 years of my Christian life the shame over something that happened in my teenage years that I wouldn't tell a soul. Because how could a preacher have been involved in something like that? How could God use someone that's been involved? And this lie, come on, seemed more real than the truth of the forgiving God that can put people back in a good place. My heavens, friend, Saul of Tarsus killed Christians. He was a Jewish man. He took their lives. And then God reaches out to him, converts him, and becomes Paul the Apostle. And he writes two-thirds of the New Testament. Let me give you some hope if you're here this morning. And you feel that you're just kind of on the sidelines, that you're on the back row because of something of yesterday. Can I tell you, leave it in the church house this morning. This is a brand new year and a brand new start. Come on, give, give him a good hand this morning. Let me give you another lesson. And this is a big one. When we're alone and afraid, God wants to speak to us. When we're alone and afraid, again, in the cave, God wants to speak to us. Now, I can tell you we've been living this in the Miller family the last few days or the last few weeks. But let me share a personal story from my family's past. My grandparents on my mom's side immigrated from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. When my grandfather was in his late 80s, my wife and I recorded their story, kind of a sound of music story. And he shared, he was, of course, in, one of the, in, in Latvia, he was a postmaster. Uh, he owned a farm, he had some farmland, and he had a good life. And in the middle of the night, the Germans came in their home, just knock, didn't knock on the door, they just broke in. And they began to take out people in the city that were people of influence, people of, you know, the kind of the leaders in the city. They wrapped their hands together in barbed wire. They put them on boxcars on a train to take them to probably Siberia or somewhere. So if you can imagine, last night as you slept, we slept pretty good. My wife slept good last night, slept through the night. As you're sleeping, in the middle of the night, all of a sudden the door crashes down, and before you know it, the Gestapo is in your room. Lights are shining in your eyes, and they don't ask you anything. They jerk you out of the bed. Your wife is screaming. Your kids are screaming. They tell them to shut up. They push them down. They put barbed wire on your hands, and you're sitting in a boxcar. Imagine what must have been going through your mind in the middle of the night. And then he said something that surprised me. Now, they were Lutherans by their background, but I never knew my grandfather to be particularly religious, still spoke in broken English. I never heard this, but he said in the middle of the night, he said this, Jesus appeared to me and said, fear not. And he said it just matter-of-factly. And I thought, what? He said, Jesus told me, fear not. 
That was all he said. It was like a vision. Jesus said, fear not. He said, the next morning, the train is still moving. The train stops. They take the barbed wire off, but they give them shovels, and they start to dig their own graves. When you're alone, when you're afraid, Jesus said, fear not. And then at that very moment in time, he said the front shifted. The Russians somehow had taken ground. They communicated with the train, and all of a sudden the Germans begin to flee, and the Germans begin to go in a different direction. And then they leave the train. They get back. They scamper back to their hometown, and he goes, and he gets his family. He gets a horse, and he gets a wagon, anything they can put on with their kids, and they begin a journey towards America. I'm telling you, in the middle of your darkest hour, God wants to speak to you. God will not forsake you. God will not turn his back on you. When you may not know what to do, God knows what to do. And that's the third point that I want to make from this story in Elijah's life. God knows what to do when you don't. God is the screenwriter of the play of your life. And you may not know what tomorrow holds. You may begin to get some ideas, but you don't know, but God knows. And in the middle of the cave... God finds him and said, I've got three things for you to do. I want you to anoint two kings and one prophet. These kings and prophet, are, the prophet's going to succeed you, but they're going to go and reestablish righteousness in the land. Come on. They're going to go and they're going to bring back the ways of God. And you're still running a race, Elijah. I've still got something for you to do. And I want you to get out of the cave. I want you to go and I want you to rise up as a man of God. And the voice of the Lord is what told him this. God communicated that he had purpose. Now, I want to tell you as a fellow believer, as your pastor, as someone who loves you, you've got purpose in 2013. You have a kingdom purpose. Your purpose is going to be bigger this year than making money, though. That's great. It's going to be bigger this year than playing ball. That's great. Bigger than even duck hunting and turkey hunting. I'm telling you, there is a purpose that God has for you. There's a script that he wants you to fulfill because the nation needs you right now. Come on. The nation is in trouble. The nation is in trouble. Uh, answers are not going to come out of Washington or Austin or Little Rock. Come on. Answers are going to come from the people of God. Answers are going to begin to arise around us. You and I are God's mouthpieces. You and I are God's hands extended. And I'm telling you, as you begin this new year, God wants to use you and do something through you in your world. I don't care if it's in your school where you go, in your workplace, in your community, in the Walmart with a stranger, some larger platform. God wants to do something through you. And I'm telling you, it's the voice of the Lord that will show you what that is. See, knowing what I'm saying is good, but knowing how to actualize it depends on you being able to hear God. That's why these 21 days of prayer and fasting are so vitally important. Because they will set the tone for the rest of your year. Let me give you one more thing. A lesson from the cave. And it's simply this. You've got to have faith that God will speak. And you've got to be willing to listen. What if Elijah wasn't listening? What if he didn't care? He'd probably have died in the cave. You understand what I'm talking about? He would have not come out of the cave. You see, you and I must believe that God wants to communicate with us. And was it not Jesus Christ who said, My sheep? My sheep, Christians, hear my voice. And didn't he say in the book of Revelation, when he wrote the letters to the seven churches, what did he say? He who has ears, let him hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. 
And I'm telling you, you, you don't have to, you're not. Listen, the days ahead for you and I as the people of God, as the church, it's going to be the greatest days we've ever lived in. And let me tell you why. Because God's brightness and glory shines brighter in a dark world. See, this is going to be our finest hour as the world's best efforts fall apart. Come on, you and I, come on, have peace and safety in the middle of the storm. Now, you may go through a valley like the Millers are going through right now, but come on, God is still with you. And when the world goes through the valley, they stay in the valley, but you and I come out on the other side looking good. So I'm telling you, you're going into this new year, the voice of the Lord will guide you. And what I'm saying this morning is not mystical, spooky, or weird. And I adjure you, listen friends, if you've had a bad experience in the past trying to hear the Lord, or somebody has, you know, kind of led you in the wrong direction, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We desperately need to have God lead us and guide us in the journeys of life. I'm telling you. Now listen, in this series, we're going to talk about how God speaks to us. And first and foremost, I'm telling you, God speaks through His written Word. First and foremost, God is speaking through the Scripture, the authoritative, inspired Word of God. For example, when it comes to how I'm supposed to treat my wife, I don't have to ask you to pray for me. I don't have to seek the Lord for a word. Ephesians already has told me, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. So at three in the morning, if she's having a hard time, come on, you become the nurse. Which, by the way, I'm becoming a pretty good nurse. <clears throat> I invented something in Dallas. I'll talk, oh, anyway, just kind of a bantering back and forth. But I'm telling you what, I'm having to do some things that I don't want to do. This is not my first choice. Or my second. Or my third. It's not even on my list where I'm walking right now. But I don't have to wonder about what I'm supposed to do. Come on. The Bible's already given me guidance. But now let me say this. I, there's not a Bible verse that said go to Baylor. You need the Holy Spirit to guide you in life. Now, the Holy Spirit speaks to us directly in several ways. For example, God can give you a vision like He did my grandfather. I'll talk about that. God can give you a spiritual dream or that still small voice or the peace of God can be God's guidance in your life. See, God can also speak through Spirit-filled people. There can come a prophecy, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, godly counsel. We hear the voice of the Lord speaking to us. So that's kind of where we're going in this series, broadly across the pages of Scripture, ways that God communicates. We'll talk about how to discern the true from the false, the right from the wrong, because how many know not everything said in the name of God is God? See, so we'll talk about that, a lot of different things, but that's the journey we'll take, and I hope you'll, you'll, you'll join me in the next few weeks. Let's look at another passage, Acts chapter 2. I want to look in the New Testament, because if you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, preacher, that's Old Testament. Well, it is, absolutely. Thank God for the Old Testament. When we uh, talk about the Scripture in Timothy that says, all Scripture is inspired by God, what do you think they were talking about? The Old Testament. The New Testament was not even penned at the date. Well, anyway, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Second point is that God promised that the Holy Spirit would speak to us in the last days that the Holy Spirit would communicate with us. Now, day of Pentecost, Peter is talking, Acts 2.17, in the last days, 
Now, this phrase, last days, was a term used in the Old Testament somewhat, but it's particularly dominant in the New Testament. And the last days seem to have begun on the day of Pentecost where the church age began. And how many know if they were in the last days in the New Testament, we're in the latter part of the last days. We've moved forward substantially in these last days. Well, here's what God says. God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, the source of, source of communication, on all people. Now listen, your sons and daughters will... Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Now, I'm between old and young, so I'm a dreaming visionary, okay? I don't know where you are, but dreams and visions, even on my servants, men and women, I'm going to what? Pour out my spirit in those days and they'll prophesy. So what does that mean? God is going to communicate in the last days. God wants to communicate. Now, this word prophecy is not just predictive. And when it is predictive, it'll be way better than the Mayan calendar predictions. How many understand what I'm talking about? That's the difference between true and the false. Something true from God happens and something from the minds doesn't happen. Okay, there you go right there. But anyway, the Bible tells us, they'll put the scripture on the screen, what prophecy is. 1 Corinthians 14, New Testament gift of prophecy is where God anoints a person, those who prophesy, speak to people to give them strength. Say it with me. Strength, encouragement, and comfort. Say it again. Strength, encouragement, and comfort. I cannot tell you and that prophecy doesn't just have to come from the microphone. Prophecy can come on Facebook. I can't tell you how many people have been communicating to us, and it was just like they're the voice of God. See? So prophecy is where God inspires a person, and it's not on the level of Scripture, obviously, but God uses a person to communicate something to you that's going to help you. The Spirit of God in me can say something to you that will help you. That's prophecy. Now, visions, let me tell you what a vision is. A vision is like a snapshot or a picture, like my grandfather saw in that, in, in that boxcar. Fear not. Or a vision could be like a movie. You remember Peter. Peter saw a vision, middle of the day. He's praying. Simon Peter. And all of a sudden, he goes into, some translations say a trance, but it's a vision. It's an open vision, middle of the day. And he sees a sheet coming out of heaven, this big blanket coming out of heaven. It's filled with all kinds of animals. And for the Jewish who had different dietary laws, you couldn't eat everything. Thank God I'm a Gentile. I like ribs. How about you? Come on, little catfish on the side. All right. Well, anyway, he sees this coming out of heaven, and this voice says, eat. And he said, oh, I'm not supposed to do that because, you know, that's dietary laws. Three times this happened, and then all of a sudden it stopped, and Peter's going, huh, what'd that mean? Which tells us when God communicates, oftentimes it's not always clear. The Bible says we know in part. See, well then, lo and behold, a man named Cornelius, he was a, a God-fearer, he was a Gentile. Some of his buddies come to the door of Peter because at the same time, an angel had appeared to them, come on and said, go talk to Peter. So we have this supernatural setup. Well, lo and behold, what happens? In that day, Simon Peter goes to their house. The Holy Spirit falls. It's a second Pentecost. And now the New Testament church is not just Jews. Now it's Gentiles. And God did all that through a vision. And in the last days, the Bible said God will speak in visions. And He'll also speak in dreams. Now, how many know not every dream is a godly dream, but some are? I had a dream several months ago. It was about snakes. Two different dreams about snakes. I mean, that's a picture of the demonic, and it could well be my wife's attack that she's experiencing. But I remember throwing that snake out of the pit where I was. 
But when you're in it, you may not know what it means. I shared it with our elders the next day, and you're kind of scratching your head. You got some vagueness to it. But how many know he who's in me is greater than he who's in the world? See, dreams. Joseph had a dream. Remember that Jesus' stepdad, Mary's, Mary's, Mary's husband. You remember? Jesus is born. He has a dream. Well, first of all, the dream says, you know, don't throw Mary away. But then he has a dream that says, take Jesus away from King Herod, take him to Egypt. Now, if I was God, I'd have just gotten Herod out of the way. But I'm not God. But he had a dream and he took Jesus. Now, listen to me. If I was God, I wouldn't let my wife be going through this. And if you think you have an answer, I'm interested to hear it from you. But I'm telling you this. It could be on the level of James in Acts about 12 or 13. The Bible says James was beheaded, no explanation. And the very next day, the church is praying for Peter. He's in prison and a supernatural miracle delivers him. That's well, great for Peter, but what about James? You see, there's just some things in life that you can't always figure out. You can't put under the microscope, I'm telling you. But when you can't figure it out, you faith it out. See, you can trust God. God can be trusted. And that's how God directed with a dream. Give the Lord a good hand. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Let me, let me give you, will you give me an extra five minutes this morning? Who give me five minutes? Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. That's all I, all, all, all. Seriously, let me give you two more scriptures. And, and this next scripture is probably the most important scripture of the morning. Now think about this because I realize a lot of you in the room today are like I was many years ago. My tradition had told me God spoke, but he didn't speak. And this scripture helps me. Jesus in John 16, 7 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away or go to heaven. For if I do not go, the helper, this is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I'm going to send him to you. And I've still got many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Now listen, verse 13. When the Spirit of truth, again the Holy Spirit, the helper, the Spirit of truth, he is going to do what? He's going to guide you into all truth. But then listen, he's not going to speak on his own authority, but whatever he, he will, and he will to you things that are to come. Now, is that just not powerful? That the Holy Spirit dwells in all believers somehow. Don't figure it out, just accept it. The Holy Spirit is, and he's a speaking God to God us. And I want to help you on this journey in the next few weeks so you can walk into your future, come on, knowing that God is guiding me. I'm going to close with this last thought, and then we're going to pray. Because I believe in many of our lives that are here today, God wants to have a moment with you now. Let me close with this. And the last thing I want to say, my last point, it's about peace. The Holy Spirit guides us through the inner witness of peace. And the peace that I'm talking about is different than the peace that comes out of a bottle. Come on. The peace that comes, whether it's liquid or whether it's a pill, the peace of God is different. Colossians 3.15, in a nutshell, it says, Let the peace from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace from Christ rule in your hearts. Now, when you explore this deeper in the Amplified Translation, the Amplified Translation of the New Testament expounds on Greek words. A Greek, Greek words may be pregnant with meaning that we don't just pick up. Here's what it says. Let the peace from Christ act as an umpire continually in your heart. That is, let it settle with finality all the questions in your mind. Huh. Let peace be an umpire. Peace from God. And what is... Can I suggest to you, peace has a voice. Just like fear has a voice. 
And worry has a voice. See peace on the same level, peace from God. Now, an umpire, what's an umpire do? Ball game. Controls the game. It's a strike, it's a ball, you're out, you're safe, you disagree, you get out of here, I boot you out, I'm the boss. I'm directing things. And the very same way the Bible says God's peace wants to guide you and direct you. Let me tell you how we found this working in our life. Obviously, when her diagnosis came, I don't know that I've ever been as in shock and confused as I was for probably 10 days. Now, I'm troubled today, but our faith is working a little stronger. I mean, no, when you know the right way to go, it's clearer. But we had about 10 days, and we didn't know which way to go. When we found out about it, we left the first doctor's office that just told her, just in all bluntness, you have, you have cancer. We went in the parking lot. I put my arms around her, and I said, Honey, he doesn't have the final word. God does. So we started our walk with faith. And then we went to a second physician, and in his office, I'm telling you what, we walked out as confused as a local physician, good God, he's helped her in the past a ton. But I'm telling you, based on what he said we should do, we're thinking, oh, gosh. But then I had this thought. And this thought said, call a friend had been a, in the medical world that was been helpful in our life. She said, I've been praying for you, too. We've got real good physicians in Texarkana, and thank God that we do. Two great hospitals here. But she said, I just feel like you're supposed to go out of town for this issue. And when she said that, guess what came? Peace. There was an umpire operating. Well, then the question is, how many out of town can be a lot of different places? And the first place we headed was to Little Rock. Met a great surgeon in Little Rock. But as we came back and talked, it just, how can I say this? It just didn't feel right. And I'm not talking about gut feelings. But just out of town was right, but that just wasn't right. And the more we explored, we were kind of like a hybrid option, some treatment here and something in Little Rock, and it just... Well, anyway, another friend met with us in the medical field. I mean, we were just hearing everything, and we were confused. He met with us after church one night. It was 8.30, 9 o'clock. We just met in town somewhere, sat in the car, and got to talking about what was going on. Then all of a sudden, we just began talking about Baylor and the option to go to Baylor. And guess what filled the car again? Peace. Next morning, he was able to make an appointment for her. And we spent two days at, at Baylor. And I'm telling you, it was surreal. You're going to talking to cancer doctors, to this person, blah, 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 blah. But in all that stuff, there was this sense of peace. It just felt like somebody had just picked us up and was walking with us. Painful? Yeah. You want to go through it? No. But was peace guiding us? Absolutely. And I'm telling you, the same Holy Spirit that cared about our crisis cares about yours. You see, because God's not just been talking to me about a crisis. God's, I, I'm going to what I have in my heart. I have a, a, a righteous anger towards the devil who's robbing from my life. Whether it's a direct spiritual attack or something that just came through the lineage of Adam, he's at the root of it. And here's what I say out loud when nobody's around. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You put your hand on my wife, I'm going to put my hand on your kingdom. And I have a righteous indignation. I'm going to do everything I can in the days ahead to reach as many people for Christ as we can. To take his gospel as far as we can, for as many as we can. To put more money in missions, more money in outreach, more money in reaching people. Come on. 
So that's my response. But the ideas and ways to do that, the Holy Spirit's just downloading to me, and I just writing it down in my phone. I'm just putting down ideas, and I'm talking to staff, and I'm telling you, God is involved. And that's what we're going to do in the next few weeks, Lord willing, is we're going to talk about God's involvement in your life, God directing you through what we go through in life. Praise the Lord. Give him a good hand. He's worthy, worthy of our praise. Now let's have a God moment before we go. The Bible says those that seek him will find him. Draw near to God, he draws near to you. I want to ask you to make a commitment this morning. I want to ask you to make a commitment that in the month of January, you're going to set yourself apart to God in a special way. That you're going to carve out some times, and you'll have some time to pray about this and think about what's going to work, but you may find that you're turning the radio off or music off in your car and you're being quiet with God. You may want to start coming to the church on lunch hours sometimes and fasting and just praying, asking God, say, Lord, what do you want me to do in 2013? See, I'm not talking now just about a crisis. I'm talking about decisions. I'm talking about your future. But I'm talking about setting yourself apart to God in the month of January, giving God some special time to speak to you and hear his voice and being willing to do what he says. But if you'd like to make that commitment this morning to joining with me, and setting yourself apart to God in January. I just want you to stand to your feet. I want to pray for you. I just want you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray for you this morning that God's going to help you figure out what to do and how to do it. That God's going to help you order your life. And when you hear that you'll obey. Can everybody say obey? obey. And slip your hands to heaven. Lord, we're standing before you. And we're just simply saying, Holy Spirit, come. We're just offering ourselves to you as a start for this brand new year. And we want to find ourselves smack dab in the middle of the will of God. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you take us? For all of my friends now, help us, Lord, to be able to carve out time of our schedule before we get real busy. Help us to be able to figure things out from the mind of Christ and being able to open a door because we know that you're going to speak to us. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Let me close with a prayer this morning. I wonder if you're here today and the Holy Spirit has really been speaking to you about something and you need to respond to it. See, the Bible says, don't be just a hearer of the word, but be a what? A doer. You see, church is not like watching a movie. You watch something at home, I've got it down pat on a little DVR thing. When it's over, I know I can just quickly go to stop and then hit delete and it's gone. I forgot about it and I'm on to the next thing. But church is not like that. When the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you respond to him. And maybe in prayer, you just need to come up and tell someone, this is something God's been talking to me about in this service today. I want you to pray for it with me today. I want you to seal it. It's like we had some, she wanted some ginger ale, stomach thing, and I, and I got it, and we forgot to put the top back on. Well, how many know if you leave ginger ale without a top, it goes flat? What you got to do is you got to seal it and then put it in the refrigerator for it to stay fresh. Maybe you need to seal the Word of God in your life today. We'll pray with you about anything in your world. But maybe you're here today, and most importantly, as you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God. That's my big deal today. I need to put my life back in God's hands. I'm talking about your relationship with Christ. You may be here, you may not even know if you die today, if you go to heaven or if you go to hell. As you've listened to me share a journey with you about my wife and cancer, you may know in your heart of hearts that I don't have that. Not the disease. I don't have the ability to walk with God through that, but I want it telling you friends it's not willpower it starts with a relationship with God but you've got to give him your life you've got to surrender your life 
Maybe your desperate need now is for God's forgiveness. Maybe your desperate need is to be born again, to be saved. Whether you put your trust in Christ today for the first time or you need to come back to God and you want to give your life to Him. But if that's you this morning and you want our prayers as you commit your life to Christ, would you lift your hand real quickly? We'll pray for you this morning. Anyone real quickly. Say, pray for me. I want to get my life. God bless you, buddy. Give him a big hand. And God bless you too there in the back. Somebody else. God bless you too. God bless you too. Come on quickly. I want to get my life right with God. Pray for me this morning. God bless you. God bless you too, pal. God bless you. Every step to God. God bless you. Every step to God. God bless you. Every step to God is a right step. Somebody else. Say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God before I go home today. I want to get my life right with God. All right. We're going to sing this through one time and then dismiss. Go ahead and begin to sing. Our prayer team is going to come right now, and we want to offer you prayer. If you were here and you just lifted your hand to commit your life to Christ, you come. Let us pray for you. We want to give you some things that will help you. You need prayer for anything. You come. Come on, begin to play, Pastor. Our prayer team is coming. You lifted your hand. Come on down. Let us pray for you. Pray with somebody. Put the cap back on the bottle. Seal it today with Christ. God's speaking to you. You come and let us pray. We'll stand with you today. I love you very much. God bless you. We'll see you hopefully tonight at 6.30.